0: Conversations with Leaders is a podcast focused on the intersection of business and technology. In this episode, AWS Enterprise strategists Jake Burns and Gregor Hope discuss the pitfalls
1: of the fear of missing out. So a couple of things that I tend to see about when folks try to future-proof is the one is FOMO, the fear of missing out. Right, so, I talk to all my CIO friends, and they all have a blockchain. So, if I don't have one, I feel like I missed out somehow. Do you see? those as well. Yeah,
0: yeah, and I, the way I think about it is is in a similar way, but it's more kind of like not truly understanding the reasons why you're doing what you're doing. And I think I've seen that with cloud, I've seen that with data science, uh, with AI ML. It's kind of like, "Well, we need one of those," right? It's a the new shiny object. But instead, kind of think about what are we trying to accomplish here and then evaluate all the available tools and what's going to be available in the future and then choose those tools based on um, you know, what, what can give you those results, right? Rather than just kind of as, as our colleague Ishit would say, don't cut and paste someone else's strategy.
1: Yeah, because that will never work because the starting point is always different. So I think maybe a tiny bit of FOMO is okay because you shouldn't, you know, sticking, shouldn't be sticking your head in the sand. You should be looking around what other people are doing. But the way in which you will apply that same technology is likely different from, for your organization than it is for other ones because it's not a copy-paste yeah. exercise.
0: Yeah, and I think there's a lot of lessons from, from Amazon, um, from our leadership principles and the way we do things, right? Like um, inventing on our customer's behalf. So rather than just waiting for people to request things, try to really empathize with who your customer is and what they're going to need and then invent those things before they ask for them. Mm. I think that's one way you can future-proof uh, your products, for example.
1: Yeah, and that makes sure it actually produces produce something of value, right? Because I remind folks, it's great to have a good look at modern technology. At the same time, you're not a research lab. Right. You are there to use the technology to provide customer value. So starting with the customer is probably a good way to make sure that that linkage actually takes place. Absolutely. Yeah, Another, another pattern that I see is, and you know, so I'll be a little bit blunt here, but in large organizations, projecting things further out sort of makes you immune to short-term deliverables. <laughs> I'm sure you've seen where this goes. So you know, classic examples of this is you know, we go into the cloud, and we're having you know, some success, but you know, still a lot of things to do. And before we even actually get there, we start talking, we start making a giant plan for multi-cloud and building a giant framework that's another two years out. So rather than getting really good at what we are currently doing, there's sort of the tendency to sort of chase the next shiny object without actually ever getting there. And if I want to be really blunt, without any, actually delivering anything.
0: Right. Well, I think a lot of these things that we're talking about can be solved by having shorter um, cycles right, yeah. in, in development. Right. So I mean, this is a, a concept that's not new, but it, you know, in terms of future proofing, um, I think it's underutilized. So if your mm-hmm. cycle is very long, then you're more likely to develop something that you know perhaps is outdated. Right. But if you have these very short cycles and you're constantly reevaluating, reevaluating and looking at the data, and then you know you can change direction very easily because you know, it's very iterative. So, so
1: it's one of those classic examples where, on one hand, it's totally common sense, right? Like, what should I be doing? Well, I should you know, have a look at what technologies are available, but I should carefully consider how I'm gonna use it. Like why? Like you said, why am I going there? And then I should take, you know, freaking checkpoints. Like, how is it actually going? Seems. Total common sense, but there's another famous saying, which is like, common sense isn't nearly as common <laughs> as it actually should be, and perhaps we're saying right, that. Right, but I also
0: think. kind of uh, you know, highlights the difference between doing something and knowing why you're doing it, mm-hmm. you know? When you know why you do it, then you understand the intentions behind, and the reasons behind the decisions you're making, you end up being a lot more flexible, right? Whereas if you don't understand the reasons, you have to be very rigid, because you're just kind of following someone else's idea. And if you deviate from that, maybe it won't take you where you're trying to go.
1: It might be a good opportunity for me, so I'll pitch a little bit the role of architects right? in this, because I think as architects, we very much like to ask the why question. I always say, you can always see what was done by the final solution, but you can generally only see why it was done you know, from the architecture choices or decisions that are behind it. So I feel like in this role, you know, in this or in this context rather, that architects can play a quite vital role because they can see how these new technologies can fit into existing landscapes that you have. You can also see about, well, you know, you can, you know, third enter pattern, maybe kit in the candy store, right? I want everything. So architects know well that if you always want everything, you know, you're probably gonna drown in complexity. I actually coined that as Gregor's law, you might know, <laughs> right? I say if you, um, what do I say? the Excessive complexity is nature's punishment for organizations who are unable to make decisions. So I think the architects are the ones who can drive you to make some decisions. So rather than being the kid in the candy store, what things are we gonna pick? Which assumptions do we make? Which bets do we place? That helps us reduce the complexity and allows us a more defined path. I'd say that's
0: certainly true for architects. I would say that's true for just about everyone in the organization though, right? If they understand, like the concept, like the, 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 the reason why we're doing what we're doing, and then they can contribute to the effort, right, rather than just wait for uh, being assigned work to do, right? So like mm-hmm. customer service agents are a classic example, right? If they're given the autonomy and they're given like a mandate to help the customer, that's so much more useful to the business and for the customer and for the agent than just saying, if they say this, do this, et cetera.
1: Yeah, that's a really great insight. It reminds me of a quote from another very intelligent gentleman. So Elon Musk once said when he was talking about you know the, the rocket ships, he says he wants everyone to be the chief architect. Right? He wants every person to understand the pieces, the parts, how they fit together, why we have those parts. And I think that might be sound advice for future-proofing. Like, you cannot just sit there and run this thing in autopilot. You cannot just be doing your small thing that you've always been doing without looking sort of over the rim a little bit, I think everybody needs to have a broader view on how the pieces fit together. And that means maybe everybody should be a chief architect, also not a bad title to have. (laughs) Or an owner. (laughs) True. We hope you're enjoying this discussion. To join the conversation and engage
0: with other business leaders on these topics, follow us on LinkedIn at AWS Executive Connection. How does hiring and talent development factor into future-proofing?
1: Yeah, very important point, right? It's like there's another famous saying, which is always, you know, the strategy only lasts until sort of the battle starts or the action starts. So it's easy to fall into the trap of, you know, showing and preaching all these fantastic technologies to an enterprise, ignoring the constraints that they're working under. And one constraint that we see almost every time now is staffing and skill sets at how, you know, I would like to do all these kind of things, you know, maybe go back to my favorite blockchain kind of thing, right? I would like to have the blockchain but I simply don't have the people or I don't have the folks with the skill set. It's definitely something that I hear quite a bit.
0: Right, so how are organizations overcoming this challenge? Uh, any notable examples or anything from your own experience?
1: Yeah, and I'd like to be sort of Blunt at times, right? That's part of having trust with the customers, right? So the first answer I give them, because sometimes this question comes sort of in the guise of, I don't have the right people, right? It's sort of a very popular saying. I'm like, well, what would the odds be that your organization was assigned exactly all the wrong people? Somewhat unlikely, right? So don't come to me, tell me that you have the wrong people because you have exactly the people who aid the organization. Attracted and they've learned the behaviors from your organization. So if your folks may be not as Change-happy as you would like them to be that is probably something you taught them That is something they learn from being in the company So I think rather than complaining a lot about not being able to attract skill sets you know look back at the folks that you do have and see how you can really unleash their potential, because they know your business much better than any new person who would come in, right? And if they have certain habits that you might not like, well, you taught them, so now it's up to you to also unteach them those habits.
0: Yeah. I mean, you get, the, you get the employees that you deserve in a sense, you know, just like, you know, the old Jim Rohn quote, where, you know, success is something that you attract by the person you become. Yeah. I think that talent is what you
1: attract by the company that you become. Yeah, and I think Adrian Cockcroft famously once said this on stage where somebody was challenging him. He was at Netflix, I believe, at the time, right? Somebody was challenging him, like, well, of course, you guys can do all this because you have all these fantastic people, and he said, well, tell you what, we hired quite a few." from your company, right? So you were sitting on the asset, and you didn't realize the value of the asset because you constrained folks with processes or rigidity or old technology, basically. You had folks who could not realize their full potential, and I would go as far as as saying that's the best way to not make your company future-proof, right? If you can make the most out of what you have, don't go asking for more. Use what you have, and that's true for tech. Right? A, lot of, a lot of times we have fancy tech that we don't really utilize, but also often we have really good people that we also don't utilize. So mm. make stuff work with the things you have rather than always chasing something. Else. I think majority of
0: organizations that are trying to transform, they have the people they need from, for, from a large degree. They already have the people they need. It's really giving them the freedom to do what they need to do. Right? If you want to be future-proofed, uh, if you want to future-proof your, your enterprise, then you should allow your people to change and to grow and encourage that and incentivize that and allow them to change and experiment and try different things. Um, you know, in, in, at the end of your journey, you may have the same people, but they might not be the same people. Yeah, you know what nice. i mean they should have trans- transformation is a personal journey as much or maybe even more so than an organizational journey or a company journey the people within the organization have to transform in order for the organization to transform
1: correct and i think the, the essence of the word is actually transformation is not a replacement exercise right. it's not just like you know getting rid of something and replacing it with something entirely different it's evolving your organization changing the shape of what you have. And I think that absolutely includes
0: the people. And I think majority of the people, if not all the people, want to change. They may just be constrained and um, stifled a bit in the current culture. So changing that culture that, to one that encourages evolution and, and change and growth and experimentation, which is I keep coming back to because it's so important, um,
1: will allow your organization to innovate and to transform. And I've, I've seen this take time, though. Every time, and maybe a couple of things that I've seen work and not work. So what I have found not to work is posters and slogans, <laughs> right? Basically, people have learned for 20 years that taking risks isn't rewarded. Maybe in an organization, right? So sending them to a TED talk or you're know, having some poster of we now an experimentation culture is not at all going to change that. So that one I've definitely seen does not work. What does work a lot better have living role models like have a person or several people who have taken calculated risk, who have experimented, who had some successes, some failures, and see the rewards for this. I mean, reward in a very broad sense, not just money, right? This could be exposures, sending them to external conferences, giving them more funding, um, having them present to the leadership, right? There's, you know, I think reward comes in many, many different flavors. But I find that role models work much, much better than any Slogan that you could of course,
0: you know if you say one thing and do another people are going to see that They're always going to believe what they see not what they
1: hear. Oh, yeah, that's failure mode number two, which is um, Desiring one thing or pitching one thing but rewarding something else, right? Like people will follow the reward system, which you kind of want them to right? That's what the reward system is for so if your incentives are still set for the old way You can talk all day about the new way it will just not happen. So you need to change the reward system. You need to have living role models that personify the way of working that you like. And then I think what you described will happen. People will see like, oh, right, this is actually real. I like working with this person. I like the way they work. They work differently. Maybe I can work like that person. And that way the change in attitude comes not from sort of holding up any kind of posters. Yeah, totally agree. What happens to me is well, there's always a counterpoint, right? So when I when I talk with customers about this, they say like, oh, again, this all sounds great, but I am a boring X, Y, Z kind of business, right? I'm not a kind of high tech. Well, my first answer is, well, obviously, you're quite successful, right? Otherwise, you would not have been around for a hundred and some years. So I'm just like, well, you know, apparently something is is going right. And what I find is that the organizations, they... they It's maybe a little bit of this copy paste where they compare themselves to like Silicon Valley or like digital companies, and then they find that on no dimension they're as good, maybe, as those are. But it was just like rather than focusing on your weaknesses, why not play to your strengths? There's many other things that you might have that the other companies don't. Like, for example, you might have a very interesting. Business. You might have a physical business with facilities and building cool stuff and flying airplanes around, right? In many cases, you have actually really exciting things. So rather than trying to be you know, like some perceived ideal company and just finding all the things that you don't have, you know, be excited about the business that you're actually in.
0: Yeah, I don't think you'll ever innovate by copying somebody else's strategy.
1: Yeah, and especially you find out that it doesn't work because you're different than those folks are. So I find that a lot of customers I work with have a lot more strength in attracting talent than they may believe, right? They right. To take things for granted that for people are quite exciting.
0: There's some qualities that got them where they are
1: today, right? Right, and play the currencies that you have. So for example, you know, if you run a very large, successful organization, you're bound to have quite stellar leadership. Otherwise, you would not have gotten to where you are. So, giving folks access to kind of that kind of leadership, right? Bringing people in as well. You know, you're gonna have an interview with the CEO or the board member, the CEO, right? Or you have quarterly updates with leadership. I think you can play a lot of tokens there. And stand. People say, like, oh, that's actually pretty nifty, right? I get to meet some of these people who make billion-dollar decisions, right? And then that business doesn't sound all that boring anymore so i think there's quite a long list of sort of things that you can offer to actually make it exciting for folks to work in that kind of business like i worked in insurance and people always think it's like well what is insurance you go to the agent around the corner and they give you paper for your car well that's a small part of insurance there's also insurance for Power stations and large complex chemical factories where people go out and assess and analyze all this complex machinery in order to decide what they're actually going to underwrite. So you'd be surprised what kind of job profiles insurance companies hire. They will be hiring heavy duty physical engineers, like facilities and plant engineers, because they need to understand the risks of the things that they insure. So I think, you know, insurance in my case, I would say is not nearly as boring as people make it out to be. There's some really exciting parts to it.
0: Right, and I think any business that's very successful is innovating on, in some level, probably behind the scenes like that. You might not see it in the finished product, but the way they get there, I mean, success isn't necessarily easy. Success on a large scale. There there are some great qualities that you must have in order to get there.
1: Yeah, I I would be hard-pressed to think of a business that's been around for decades is highly um, successful and highly profitable and is totally boring. I do. It right, just right. Doesn't, doesn't seem to mix, right? You must be doing something right. You must know something that other folks don't know. You must be really good at execution. There must be some really interesting parts in yeah. there that are maybe not visible from the outside. And to you, they seem so natural, so you never you know, bother talking about it. But that's sort of probably the biggest fallacy, right? Folks on the outside might not find this as natural and they might be quite excited about the things that you're doing.
0: So then you want to balance continuing to do those things that got you where you are with being willing to change and try new things, uh, again, to being future-proofed, right? You don't wanna, I think the point is not to keep doing what you're doing blindly, but to keep recognize the things that you're doing well that got you where you are, and then on top of that, start trying different things um, so that you're prepared for whatever comes next.
1: Yeah, absolutely, a common slogan I have when I sort of end my presentations about transformation, I would say the goal of the transformation is not to copy somebody else's Success, as we said before, but rather to maximize what you're getting out of the assets you have. You're bound to have really important assets, otherwise you wouldn't be around, you would not have been around for that long. So the goal of the transformation would be to give those a rocket booster. And you do that with tech, you do that with talent, but the foundation for that is the business that you're in and the things that you've done. Too often people come with this, like, replacement. Oh, what I'm doing is completely, useless or outdated, I need to replace it with something completely different. That might be true in like 20 or 30 years, but the way you get there is by incremental change and seeing the opportunities, training the people, you know, adopting new tech, so unleashing the potential and, and getting that, that feedback loop. We like talking about flywheels, right? It's a common model we use, but I think almost every profound change has been a flywheel effect. It's never been a giant leap From here to there, it's the organizations who are really good at tightening the cycles between I find some new tech, I find a business case for it, I try something out, I build the skill sets, I see how that went, and from there I do the next one. And the folks who get that wheel spinning faster, I find are the ones who actually are perhaps the most future-proof.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I think it looks like a, a, a giant leap from the outside, but if you saw what was actually happening, it was very
1: incremental. It always is. So being faster at running the wheel, maybe that's the the best way to future-proof. I agree.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Conversations with Leaders, brought to you by AWS Executive Insights. If you enjoyed this episode, please help us spread the word and subscribe, share, rate, and review. Visit aws.amazon.com executive insights for more on these topics.